All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Up ahead this hour, it's Hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and In the Spotlight. But first, we start off today's program with Here in Taiwan. Well, welcome to the new extended edition of Here in Taiwan. Some of you may have noticed we've been changing our schedule around. Uh, we'll be with you five minutes longer today. We hope you'll enjoy it. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today is Shirley Lin. Hello. Up next, we'll be hearing the surprising places where support for Taiwan's inclusion in the WHO is coming from online, then how a mountain almost led to a couple's breakup, and Taiwan's robotic solutions to COVID-19. All that coming up next. Please stick around. Well, those of you who tuned into, I believe it was yesterday's program. Oh my goodness, I was there and I can't remember. <laughs> I think it was yesterday's program. We'll know that uh, the U.S. State Department started a hashtag campaign called Hashtag Tweet for Taiwan, calling on the world to support Taiwan's inclusion in the upcoming World Health Assembly meeting and uh, allow it to share its experience in fighting COVID-19. And uh, they have a, a report here. This comes to us from the Taiwan News about the work of an Indian journalist to track down where these tweets were, co these tweets were uh -huh. coming from, uh, oh, not treats, okay. <laughs> um, although we're very pleased by them. Um, yeah. You won't believe where almost half of them came from, though. I was expecting Taiwan itself or maybe the U.S. or some other country that's, you know, maybe been hit hard and wants to learn from what we call the Taiwan model. Yeah. Um, actually, around 49% of tweets, well, do you want to guess? From where? Um, um... A country close to us or India India we have to thank our Indian friends very oh. much our friends online yeah 49% the US uh, really? needs to really step it up they only, they started the whole thing and they've only given us 19% oh they wow. were the second okay. biggest <laughs> contributor though mm -hmm. um, tied for third were the UAE and Germany 4% each Italy was the fifth they've been hit especially hard I mm -hmm. think and they've got 3% Australia at 2% then we get into some another interesting uh, place where support is coming from. Among the countries that contributed uh, around 1% towards the bottom of mm -hmm. this pie chart that this journalist made is China. Oh, okay. <laughs> around 1% of the tweets for Taiwan are coming from China. And this, is, oh, okay. um, this article makes the point that Twitter is actually blocked there. And many Chinese Twitter users who use it clandestinely, I guess, use a VPN that masks their country of origin. So it right. is possible that an even greater number of these tweets did originally come from China and are just being marked as though they came from somewhere else. That's oh. the most surprising thing of all to me. Okay, but I'm guessing that maybe some of them were actually Taiwanese people living in China. <laughs> I don't, well, that's also possible, but that's a kind of a bit risky, isn't yeah. it? Um, meanwhile, we have to thank our friends also, let's see, at 2%, we also had the UK, Argentina, Taiwan itself, I'm surprised we only came in at 2% of our own campaign. Because we don't know about this Or maybe campaign, we're not very really Twitter savvy. I don't know. Yeah, I think it depends also on how big... I'm not. <laughs> uh, me either. It depends on how big Twitter is in your country, I guess. Also, mm. Thailand had 2%. Uh, they've been 
their internet users have been quite uh, pro-Taiwan lately. <laughs> and uh, there, at 1% was also Canada, the Netherlands, we said China already, Hong Kong, Belgium, and Paraguay. So, uh, yeah, I think that uh, this may change over the next few days, but uh, this is what we've got so far as of May, it looks like May the 3rd. Uh, and we have, I, sh I forgot to mention who actually we have to thank for this. This is an Indian journalist called Amal Sinha, who is an editor of the Kutniti and the co-host of Chinese Whispers. I'm not sure what that is, but I'm okay. not sure if the name is, if that's a China watching website or what. I don't know. Um, but they compiled this data from 449 tweets that shared the hashtag. And so I'm not sure. How representative this is of, of everyone, especially since it's been a few days. But uh, but it's nice and sweet of the U.S. to start this thing. I'm, I, I, mean, I think, as I said, probably yesterday. <laughs> I'm yeah. losing track of time. Um, it's not the sort of thing you expect from this uh, an organization like the State Department. You expect very conservative sort of yeah. diplomatic boilerplate. Things like we strongly encourage or, you know, condemn in the strongest <laughs> terms. That kind of thing. You don't expect these aren't the sorts of people you expect to start a hashtag, but I guess that's what you have to do if you're trying to influence public opinion or get right. something started in this day and age. Well then I guess they pretty much approve of uh, what we're doing in the fight against the pandemic then well i think they're not the only ones it's just like yeah yeah you know like but for them to start a campaign like this anyway um we still have a little bit of time i'm not sure i think we as we announced during the last episode also uh announced we said um mm -hmm. i think the who announced it uh their world health assembly meeting that they hold every year will be online this year due to covid19 concerns so even yes. if we are allowed in, it's going to be a bit anticlimactic. We're going to, we've been spending all these years campaigning to be allowed back in Yeah, you know, as an observer. We used to be an observer. Uh, and then just for it to be like a, I don't know, maybe a glorified Zoom meeting <laughs> would be a bit disappointing. But mm -hmm. anyway, they won't be able to make a movie out of that is, is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, well. Well, thanks for the support. Uh, we hope it keeps coming in. There are many things that may cause a couple to fight. Uh, snoring, <laughs> toilet paper use, online gaming habits. I don't know, but a mountain. That's, a, that's something new. <laughs> I have not heard that one before. What's, what's this all about? Okay, well, what happened was that uh, there's this woman who's actually a, um, a, a gym trainer, okay, a, a coach. And um, she posted pictures on Instagram when uh, after she uh, climbed the Beidawu Mountain, that? which is the southern. It's in it's in Pingdong, so it's like okay. the southernmost uh, uh, out of five uh, peaks that are considered, you know, pretty high. And, and this one is um, three thousand, well, close to three thousand one hundred um, meters above above sea level. So that's pretty high, yeah. and it's in yeah. the far. It looks like it's Pingdong, so that's in the far south of Taiwan. Mm, okay, right, right. And, uh, when, you know, this coach, a female coach, she is so fit. She actually climbed up and down in one day. She did the wow. climb in one day. So anyway, um, the picture that she showed was like, you know, um, the peak is like above a sea of clouds because if it's high mm -hmm. enough and you're like above the clouds and then the clouds is looking like, you know, waves like the sea. Right. And then you have the sun 
or or rather the sunset over the clouds is a beautiful sight anyway. Yeah, it's very popular um, among tourists in Taiwan to go to these places where they have what we call, I don't know if they say that in English actually, but in Chinese anyway, there is this phrase, the Sea of Clouds. Sea of that, clouds. That's what it refers to. Is this trainer by any chance part of the story though, or just is her, just her post is what set it off? Okay, is she, is she... so her post started off. Okay. Okay, so, so then what happened was that uh, this female follower of this coach um, saw the photo and she just told her boyfriend and said, I want to tackle that mountain. And I, she tackled it herself. I want to tackle it by myself too. Oh. But with the help of her boyfriend halfway through, I guess, because I don't know, because her boyfriend went with her. Now, oh. what happened though was that they only managed like four kilometers into the climb and the girlfriend was tired. And she was just exhausted. They didn't train or like practice on smaller hills first? I don't think first. they so did. This is not a couple with mountaineering experience. Exactly. Do they have equipment at least? Um, you, I, I don't know. If you know. get stuck up there, I mean, the I weather know. changes quickly. Exactly. You have to be properly dressed and bring a canteen at least, I guess, not if not food. Right. I mean, we're not all gym superstars. We can't all maybe make that climb and <laughs> I know, it's really. dark. I mean, oh. Well, okay. they didn't give up right away okay. because they rested for a while. And then they went on for another two hours, and then, but then they decided to give up. So then oh. it went back down. And on the way, the girl just, you know, the woman complained about, you know, uh, knee pains and everything, and, and, uh, and complained about how the female coach didn't put any information about that it was going to be a tedious climb, <sighs> that it's going to be That's what very mountain tough. climbing is. You know? And then, but that wasn't it. The boyfriend complained to the coach through tweet or some what? messaging and saying that we went, we left, we started climbing at 5 a.m. And we got down at 8 p.m. without, without making it to the peak. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, we almost broke up because of the issue. They were fighting? They were fighting. By the end yeah, of it? Yeah, right. Oh. And, I can and, see why, because I mean, this was your idea, you know. <laughs> I know. And then the and then basically complained to the coach saying that at least you could have warned people that it's a very tough mountain. That's to not climb. what Instagram is for. I it's know, not for right? factual information. It's a place where you go to see pretty pictures and make other people think that your life is better than theirs. Right. And show your pastries. That's exactly what the coach said. She said she felt so um, humiliated <laughs> because she just wanted just simply wanted to share her life. And it wasn't like she's wikipedia or that she's you know trying to teach something yeah basically she said okay fine next time i will warn people like, but it's, it's really sense. not my job yeah you know? it's not they, they don't come with disclaimers right you know and also she was warning other people that you don't climb without doing any kind of you know preparation ahead of time like exercising and yeah. you know work yourself well yourself up to the climb and um, telling people that it's really um <laughs> that it, you know you, you're only going to cause danger on yourself as well as other people oh, and then she hashtag emphasizing that Beidawu Mountain is not an Instagrammable site I think she said that so that other people wouldn't imitate her like yeah, that the same thing won't happen again. Where uh, she complained, well, that's not of, her like, problem, right? though. It's, if she can manage it, that's fine. But like, you yeah. wouldn't, you wouldn't see like a fitness video on on YouTube of someone lifting, you know, two thousand pounds, and then be like, "Well, I'm going to try that," without having ever like that's not how things work. People, right. people just need to learn some common sense. I guess some, it's, yeah, some people are just ignorant. But uh, I think you don't just dive in because you're falling with with fell in love with some beautiful Instagrammable photo yeah. that someone else posted and know. then say you just you want the same thing and 
without making any preparation, doing any homework and training yourself. I mean, I don't know if she if she's a follower of this mountain climbing slash, you know, uh, gym coach, maybe she's is into sports some some oh, sort. No. What well, it does lead to some concerns because what else what other difficult tasks might the gym trainer post and that she might want to imitate next, you know, and uh, despite being woefully unprepared. Yeah. I mean, you could get hurt. I or, know. Oh, well. There, there needs to be some kind of regulation or, or I don't people know. People need to have, be, have common sense. Common That's sense. what needs to happen. Yes. This yes. is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> oh, goodness. Cool tech news now. We did a video about one of these robots already, actually. So you can go check that out uh, in our recent YouTube feed if your if your curiosity has been piqued. But uh, here we go. Um, as Taiwan's COVID nineteen response gains international attention, so too are its robotic solutions to infection. And uh, there are a few robots that some of which have been around actually for a few years now, but that are now being sort of brought into the fight. Right. And, uh, I'm I'm sure that eventually we'll be seeing some of these more often. Um, one of my favorite ones is the temperature checking robot called Ayuda, which means help in Spanish. I'm not sure if that's oh okay. That's not a very auspicious name. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, the idea behind this robot is to check people's temperature remotely or automatically, so that someone in the hospital doesn't have to do it, and you know might face exposure if someone does have it. Because mm-hmm. um, you got to kind of get up close to people's foreheads and yeah. stuff to do that accurately. Um, this is a robot made by the Syscom Group, and it uh, actually, in addition to measuring people's body temperature and sounding the alarm if they have a fever, it also can remind them to put on a mask. And um, it's developed and manufactured in Taiwan. And uh, my favorite part about it, though, is that uh, it does a bunch of other very random things. <laughs> oh. So it does the medical, you know, it checks people's temperature, tells them to put on a mask, sounds an alarm if they have a fever, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it can identify and track faces, but my favorite thing is that it can also print tickets and work as a tour guide. Huh? (laughs) I don't know why they added those features, but that just, I wonder if it's like those, what are they called? Pepper robots. Okay. That's the, it's a, is that another Taiwanese robot, I think? And they're a bit creepy, but they um, also like are guides at airports. And I've seen one, at least one at a department store acting as like a directory guide. Oh, I think I did too. They're like humanoid robots. I haven't seen a picture of this one, so I don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe they they can be programmed to do different things, you uh, yeah. know, from, yeah. I don't know. Um, working as a tour guide, so it probably is humanoid, I'm guessing. The okay. other one we've already told you about, uh, and like, again, you can check this out on YouTube, uh, is a UV robot. This one looks like, it doesn't look like a robot so much as like a futuristic art installation. Um, it's got <laughs> a bunch of UV lights and it rotates okay. around. It looks kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, though you probably wouldn't want to stand right next to it. It'll give you... Sunburned. Hit you in the head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. It's UV light. Um, it kills bacteria, and it's seeing a surge in demand, even though we're dealing with a virus, not uh-huh. a bacteria. But uh, it does say, though, that uh, this robot, in addition to bacteria, is supposed to be able to deactivate the DNA and RNA of coronaviruses, including COVID-19, in five minutes within a radius of five meters. Deactivate? Wow. Deactivate. I don't know. That's, okay. Uh, it sounds like a deactivate. Well, then why don't just go around and kill all the corona coronavirus? Well, you don't um... know where they're hiding. Um, but it has um a rotating. This is what I'm talking about when I meant it like moves, it spins around. It's got a rotating 
protective reflector that allows it to efficiently sanitize coronavirus-prone areas. I think, they, I think they mean like places where people gather. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been around since 2016, but it's launched by a company called Metaland. And in our story, the text that we had told us said that uh, they've shipped 100 to China already. This article from Taiwan News adds that they've shipped also to Portugal, India, and Romania, among other places as well. So Mm. this may be a robot you'll see near you sometime. Although, Mm. don't be alarmed if you do. (laughs) It's it's just there to get rid of COVID-19. We also have developed the world's first robotic virus scanner here in Taiwan. Mm. This is the work of a company called TCI Gene, and it can screen for the virus, apparently, seven times faster than existing methods. Wow. I'm not sure if that involves sticking something up your nose, and that's how they usually screen now. Um, but anyway, it's got 99.9% accuracy, which, if true, is good news, because we have had a lot of cases where the first test came back negative, mm-hmm. only for the patient's symptoms to persist, and then they had to take a second test, and that's, the, that's when they realized that they were positive this whole time. Yeah, sometimes um, even a third or fourth. It's even, kind of yeah. apparently a bit iffy. Um, yeah. I'm not sure why. I'm not a virologist. Well, I just um, think that this virus is very deadly. That's all I can think um, of. Well, yeah. Um, totally. So it's the company and the Ministry of Health actually did this. This is a new one, a new robot, unlike the other ones that have sort of been around. They put this together in two months, though. Um, mm. They had they didn't start from scratch, but they did use uh, existing Taiwanese patents from other Taiwanese companies. So this is a, definitely a homemade invention. Uh, the good news also is it can run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. doesn't say if it needs a battery or not, but mm-hmm. uh, I guess you plug it in somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they, ha- they work kind of quickly. They can test, they can carry out 900 tests in a day. So if you've got four of them, for Taiwan at least, that's enough to meet our demand. I'm not sure how much many other countries will need, uh, probably more. Good news for that company anyway. So mm-hmm. that's what we've got going on here. Wow. Mm. A whole lot of robots. Yeah. Another relationship-themed story from Shirley Now. This one about whether to get a TV in your room. Why would that be controversial? Well, because now we're in a digital world, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, a lot of people are relying on mobiles or laptops and not so much on TV, you know? You can hook up Netflix and stuff. Okay. You just got to get a little connector. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so this family, um, they just recently had some new renovation to their place and decided whether to have a TV or not. Hmm. Now, this guy, I guess he's probably the breadwinner of the house, it seems. Um, He didn't think there was a need for a TV. And um, but then his mother, and I guess his mother lives with them. Uh oh. She wants the TV. Okay. Well, and then you know what's going to happen. <laughs> Maybe and at the at the end it's going to happen with TV <laughs> then. Um, but um, basically, you know, so then he went around on this uh, chat platform asking everyone, "Does everybody have a TV still in their house?" I have two. Oh, do you? Uh, I have one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's. I mean, computers. Are nice, but if their screens aren't that, if they're not those enormous like ones you see at the Apple Store where they have enormous executive-sized screens, yes, your eyes can get a bit tired after that. Hey, after a that while. that's true because somebody actually said that. You know, they they said that. You know, it's nothing is better than watching you know a TV series or a movie and I everything mean, on big screen. Even YouTube. I mean, yeah. I try. Unfortunately, my computers and the TV don't have the same 
plugs. Oh. They keep changing them with with computers. I don't know why. But, but as so long as you get one of those connectors. I, I need to find an adapter for adapter, an adapter. It's yeah. really, so oh, I've okay. given up on that. But I can see the idea, you know, of yeah. the appeal. Of, even if you're not watching it, having one around to use as a screen. You just said, some, said something that somebody else said. Oh. Is that um, somebody, some people some just like to have the TV on just as a noise in the background. But then they could be like surfing on their phone. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how my husband's been living these days <laughs> in our living room. A lot of, for a lot of people, there's sort of a sleep aid, too. You fall asleep on the couch. Know. He'll turn on the TV, and then he brings his mobile to the sofa, but he's looking down at his mobile while the TV's on. And I'm into all, you know, saving energy and all that kind of stuff. I said, turn off the TV if you're not watching. I said, no, 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 no leave it on. And then, you know, five seconds later, he's back onto his mobile. And I was just like, Why? And then I, and I see that somebody else is doing the same thing. I said, okay, so it's the norm. <laughs> a lot of people, if they, especially if they live alone, probably it's sort of sort of company. It's well, the same reason I mean, people sometimes will like listen to podcasts and things. Yes, not because they're paying attention the whole time, but just because to have something. So well, it's not it's not eerily silent. We're 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 empty nesters, but we're not like a loner. Okay. So there's, okay. <laughs> it would. So I don't know. But then again, um, somebody else was saying that. Um, You know, uh, the previous um, thing about having a TV is because it's just too too much for the eyes if you're watching a movie or YouTube yeah. on iPad or you know, for that matter. And so um, it's better off. And, you know, it's funny because actually my husband was giving away an iPad and actually um, to my daughter and, you know, our son-in-law. Mm -hmm. And um, but our son-in-law didn't want to have the iPad because it's heavier than his own laptop oh. and um, you know and and so he didn't see the point of having it but then my daughter decided to keep the ipad because she not she likes watching tv series in bed <laughs> using the ipad um you see okay yeah uh, well that's a very common thing these days right that's another norm right? a new norm but anyway so very interesting anyway there are other people who suggested that well if you can't decide on whether to have a tv or not now at least you're doing renovations so maybe Maybe um, just install a plug in case that you do decide to have a TV later oh, on. Yeah. Okay. And maybe have a TV stand made, you know, like stuck in a wall or something like that, just so that you won't have any regrets. You know, if someone should argue to the point where they want to leave you because you <laughs> don't want, you decide not to have a TV in the house. Uh, yeah. Well, it's his mother. I think that's the chances of that happening are not too high, but. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I mean, it could always be a mountain, it could be worse, you know? Right. <laughs> Well, the COVID-19 nonsense that's been going on over the last few months has left a lot of flight attendants grounded. Mm. Uh, some of them abroad, actually. They're kind of stuck where they are. Shirley's going to fill us in now on what some Taiwanese flight attendants who fly for the airline Emirates are doing while they're unable to fly. Yeah. Um, so there are two uh, flight attendants being mentioned here. One is Zhang Lijun. Uh, who actually has already emigrated with her family to Australia some time ago. Mm -hmm. And so pretty much spent half of her life, you know, abroad. And um, another one is from Taipei. And um, she decided, oh, okay, sorry. 
Uh, the first one, Zhang Lijun, she decided to quit her nine to five job when she saw this ad about you know applying for flight attendants for the Emirates Airlines because she thought, wow, that seems like a more fun and different world than a nine to five job for I me. I feel like that's an airline that has extremely high standards. That's not probably oh, not an yes. easy job to get. Oh, so I anyway, know, but she made it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one is actually from Taipei, um, oh. Li Yuting, and she wanted to look for a job that she can socialize with more people and like make friends with more different people from. Okay. Okay. Different from you know from around the world. Yeah, Taipei's international so, and all, but not the yeah. biggest. Uh, so she chose um, Emirates Airlines, and, and now they're abroad in Dubai, and I know they don't now, they don't seem to have any way of getting back. Yes, that is right. You know, they've each worked for five and four years already for Emirates Airlines. And uh, during this time, they were stuck in Dubai. They had to be on standby in Dubai. Oh. So they couldn't even come home to okay. Taiwan. And so um, one of them really misses Taiwan's home cooking. Mm. But she didn't, you know, like, you know, mope around, you know, like, oh, I miss home and that kind of thing. She got to go with another Japanese friend and they exchanged recipes. Oh. She started thinking about the beef noodle soup, you know, that her mom makes mm -hmm. so you know they exchange recipes they're cooking so they don't miss home and the fact that you know they've been traveling around so much they've got so many pictures they've taken on their sure. mobile sure. of all the countries around the world so it's a time for them to organize their albums there you go yeah so something uh, you can do while you're in lockdown is right. organize your photos get them in, in order and also they're exercising a lot and they're pulling friends to do exercising too Presumably uh, indoors. Dubai is well, quite hot. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> well, that does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Shirley Lin. Don't go anywhere just yet. Up next, it's Hashtag Taiwan, Taiwan Explained, and In the Spotlight. Hello and welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. On this week's segment, we got in touch with a Japanese YouTuber living in Taiwan. Now, she recently released a cover of a popular Chinese song, which she rewrote the lyrics to to make it a song about COVID-19 prevention. She very graciously allowed us to play the song, and we're going to share it with you on this week's show. That's going to be what's coming up next on Hashtag Taiwan. Don't go away. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about this woman. Her name is Sayu, and she's a Japanese YouTuber living in Taiwan. This is the Taiwanese indie rock band Wangfu, and they have a song called You Are My Air. Now, in keeping with our musical theme, I wanted to share a song with you. Sayu actually rewrote the lyrics to You Are My Air in Chinese nonetheless, and performed it herself online. We liked the song so much, we reached out to Sayu and asked if it was okay if we shared the song. She gave us an emphatic yes, saying that the purpose of her song was to give the world a good message. Now, we took the liberty of adding English subtitles for our viewers, and I may or may not have thrown footage of myself in there, so maybe look out for that. Anyway, without further ado, you guys, here is the song, and be warned, it's very catchy. Then, then, 
权利。你管我到底喜不喜欢你？有问题会不会？I'd like to close out today's hashtag by thanking Sayu once again for letting us use her great video. Links to her YouTube and the original video will be in the description below. I'm gonna keep my sign off simple today, you guys. Like Sayu says, stay home. Oh, thanks Leslie. And of course, thanks Leslie for staying at home. As you know, he's been staying at home uh, while we've been recording, uh, just for safety reasons. And we actually only see each other once a week when we do this show. Right, it's good for our relationship, right? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that's hashtag Taiwan for the week, and be sure to follow us on social media and leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. In today's Taiwan Explain, I'm going to tell you all about the many ways that music helps us relieve stress. Oh, good! I need to learn more about this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we have 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? Yes. All right, go. There are many neurological responses in the brain when we listen to music. There's an increase of immunoglobulin A, which boosts our immune system, and natural killer cells, which attack harmful bacteria and germs. Connecting with music also increases dopamine, which makes us happier, and reduces cortisol, which is a stress hormone. So whether it's creating, playing, or just listening to music, it soothes our minds. Music actually alters our brain waves, which helps us relax. It can even help you overcome insomnia. Listening to calming music in a relaxed position for 45 minutes helps you fall asleep easier. 
The beauty of music is it distracts us from our worries. And it's a creative outlet that helps us explore and express our deepest emotions. All right. Very nice, Natalie. Good job. Yeah. Just as you're talking, I started to kind of feel calm Did and relaxed. You? <laughs> <laughs> music does that for us. So when you're listening to music, do you actually feel the physical response? You know, right away. I feel like I... I turned on like a stress release, you know, uh, magic, you know, <laughs> pill or something. Yeah, whenever I turn on the music or start playing music or something, it just—it's mm. like you're um, starting to operate on a different wavelength. Mm. And the music is very soothing. I mean, it depends what you listen to, but so what do you listen to? I like to listen to jazz. It's uh-huh. just very relaxing and very innovative. It's fun. That's yeah. great. How yeah. about you? I like to listen to a little bit of Bach with breakfast. That sounds <laughs> like a in, good way to start your day, absolutely. Andrew. Absolutely. It puts me in the right mood and gets me kind of like not thinking about my cell phone and news and work. That sounds great. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And that's today's Taiwan Explained. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Jimmy Huang is a fashion designer who has just come back from being in the UK for 12 years. She studied arts in Taiwan and the UK. She has also studied oil painting and sculpture before, but then switched to fashion, which to her is just another form of art. She designs women's wear as well as men's wear, and to her, there's no difference in their design for either gender. When I said she must be good because even Lady Gaga noticed her clothes. She was very humble about it and said it was just by chance. Today, I started with questioning: How does she sleep at night when she has to constantly think of designs to maybe meet the deadline for the next fashion show? I'm just thinking that、uh, as much as. I mean, I love fashion, and I love watching fashion shows, and I always trying to. I'm just always in awe of how、uh, you know you professionals can come up with all those different designs and everything. But I'm thinking like it's also a lot of pressure, isn't it? Because it is doing something you like, but the thing is that maybe over time you have to you have to have to come up with a line of clothes for the next show or you know the next season or whatever. I, I, I'm trying to think like. Do you guys go through sleepless nights trying to think of like you know, come up with new ideas and new designs and everything? I mean, how do you guys sleep? <laughs> It is to be honest, it's really tiring. Really, I have been in fine art. Fine art is not easy either. But in in this fashion industry, the the tiredness is you know, 
the seasonal changing, because mm. that is also the issue that I'm trying to figure out years by years, and also I'm still、um, working on it as well. Because I don't think I fit into the fashion industry a lot. Because what I treat, what I do is, I think it's a piece of design, it's a piece of work, it's a story. It's not,、um, it's not something that you can throw into the washing machine for twenty minutes, or,、um, or something that you can wear daily. I admit that it's not that、um, wearable, but、um, it happens just having this area of. Contemporary designer is kind of in between of、um, creating a piece of work to the、um, fashion industry. So I think it is tiring for, for the amount that we need to do. But、um, idea come from living from our culture from from every day. So it is also tiring you trying to feel everything a hundred times more than the people will not notice. By every single details from the life, I think that's also a part that is difficult for me as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's、uh, a lot of pressure, isn't it? Um, just like uh, when I suppose the National Taizong Theater invited you to design the uniform, is that right? Yeah, that was long time ago. That was two thousand fifteen. I think I was just started the career about one to two years by that time. But I was surprised because the um. Creative director. I'm not sure if it's creative director. The position at that time,、um, she came to UK visit our tiny studio <laughs> at that、uh-huh. time, which、uh, it was our first studio. We moved like a hundred times after that,、uh-huh. um, and she was invite、um, us to do that. By that time, I think it was the first case of Taiwan and government and sort of organization trying to cross over to a very young. Contemporary designer. I was really appreciate at that time for、mm. for her idea and for the opportunity that she gave. So、yeah. she actually gave you some idea how to design, like what she wanted, what she expected, or. Um, she didn't really um put much rules on what that need to be. But as a designer for a project that we do for we say the client, it's completely different from creating. My own brand, the work, the story that I do on fashion shows. So、um, it's very important that you understand the client completely because the work is for them. So、um, basically, I understand how they work, understand how、um, they going to form their、um, images, how they wanted to present. Because by that time, this,、um, the the theater is not opened yet. Okay. So all the material that I got, I need to kind of、um, collect from them by 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 the information they gave to me. Yes.、But、it was a very interesting project. I think I wanted to do something that is、um, timeless. Hmm. Nothing to do with trends. It's nothing to do with sort of fashions. It's a a culture kind of space for me and for for the country as well. So I wanted to do something that is more. Cultured, I think, and、yes. uh, doing the materials, doing the details, everything, so they can have them for a long time. Oh, okay. Can you describe the idea?、Um, I mean,、uh, the design for the uniform. Um, it's kind of in between my point of view to what they think、um, the theater should be. So the color was taken from the、um, the logo. So basically, based、ah. on white and black and red. 
Yes. And also, it's very hard at that time trying to. It's only two outfits. It's trying to say everything by two outfits、mm. for this whole、uh, massive, beautiful art center in Taichung. So it was very challenging at that time, and I wanted to keep it simple and say take all the boxes I wanted to be.、Mm-hmm. So I think that was、um, how it came out at the end, and I I think it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah.、Um, if I remember correctly, the sleeves were you know like in a slant, where half is white and half is black, and that that that's very catchy. You know, yeah, yeah. Very, a lot of、uh, hidden details, but it's very very hard for production, and also. As I say, that was the first case that um, government um, organization have cooperate with um others like crossover. So、uh, apart from the design communication and the the whole um production, well, I didn't take care of the production the first time, but the whole process of everything basically is first time for everyone. So it was hard、mm. um, at that time to get everything going. I see. Yeah,、mm-hmm. it was. It was just only you know completed then, right? When they asked you to do the design, the uniform. Yeah. yeah.、Um, just curious. Did the design of the building itself gave you any idea? <laughs> um, I do. Because it's got a very special yeah, design. Yes. Course, of course, I don't really want something that against you, it, but、um, every information, including the. Building and including the detail, the colors and the even the water flow in the ground floor. Yes, I think that was also everything that I was taken information and sort of study from. Oh wow, that's very nice. I actually thought the uniforms came out really nice. Really, yeah, very、Thank、catchy.、You. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. I suppose that、uh, you know that lately in the last oh I don't know how many years, Taiwan has been really promoting its culture and its、uh, creativity through creative parks, right? Like the Huashan Creative Park and、mm-hmm. uh, and the、um, the the Shengshan Creative Park.、Uh, what do you think about Taiwan in terms of moving towards promoting its、uh, culture and arts?、Um, how do you think that Taiwan is doing and how it can do better? Maybe you know, like helping people like you. To promote your, you know, your works, your masterpieces. I think I've been to the two places that you say, but I'm not the, the, the expert to say what's going on in Taiwan's creative industry because I'm not. I haven't been living in Taiwan maybe the past ten years, but I do、um, have a little bit information from what I can see, and I、yeah. think it's all good. And Taiwan is going. Um, we're growing really fast by the、um, the creative point. People start appreciating、um, what is、um, kind of handmade and then what is made by design,、mm. and they start to understand what is design, which is good.、Um, but still, there is a, a a part of our culture that is slowly growing, and I think there's a bright future for it in a, in a short time. Of course, I if I have to say what、well, uh, I hope that will be better. I think. And most of local brand or creative、um, people, I think they are great and they are they are amazing. But、yeah. uh, we in our culture, maybe sometimes we do have a little bit lack of confidence,、mm. and afraid to be unique, afraid to be different from others. So sometimes, maybe just a little bit, you feel that it's quite similar. The 
the things that you see around in sort of um, creative industry or even film industry, um, pop music industry, every 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 kind of um, industry you see. I think that might be sometimes too obvious. Maybe it's already a part of our culture, but I mean, it doesn't doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just it will develop by time later. I think. Mm. Is there any advice you want to give to the young designers in Taiwan? Um, no, I think they are that they need completely free to do what they want to do. So I just hope the um, the industry don't put too much pressure on the young designers. I think that is what they need very importantly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And what's your dream for the future in what you're doing right now? Um, <laughs> I think um, I am working on my dreams uh-huh. and I think that is a very lucky thing and also um, I got asked quite a lot of what I want to achieve in the future but to be honest every time I answer that is as simple as um, it will be the biggest dream to continue doing what I'm doing now it might be some of the simplest stuff but it is actually the hardest one mm. <laughs> Short and simple. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, maybe just to talk about something more uh, away from your career, though, is what have you seen change about Taiwan in these 11 years that have been, you've been away? From what kind of point of view? Oh, any, any aspect, anything. I think Taiwan has been a most comfortable country to live in, to be honest. I haven't been to too many countries for living-wise. I only lived there. I lived in China before I lived in Taiwan. I lived in the UK, and that's all. I traveled a lot, but um, I don't live in a lot of countries. But I would say Taiwan is one of the most comfortable countries I wanted to live in. But... um, Working-wise, especially in my industry, mm-hmm. I think it's um, a bit. It's good and it's bad. Sometimes it's really chill here, <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite good. And for artists or designer to focus on uh, what you want to develop, I think for the environment. But sometimes, I'll say you do want to do uh, maybe feel the energy a little bit. But wow. um, that's the reason I come back. I think that's a time for me to refocus on myself and um, and in the the space that I wanted to be. Now. Oh, and I thought you were going to say you're going to you you want to come back to bring the energy into the design. I'm trying time. to probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can be able to do that, but uh, let's see. Oh wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, and uh, it's really wonderful talking to you. And um, I just wish you much luck in, in in during this time to keep yourself safe and healthy, but uh, to continue to do what you're doing to influence the design world. And I'm I'm sure every designer contributes something into this, and which now is a growing field, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah, everyone does, though. Not just designer. I think everyone. Yeah, does. yeah, yeah. It, it it actually every field kind of cross over different disciplines. So, are you saying that even I can contribute to design field? <laughs> <laughs> of course, because everyone is our. I don't like the word of inspiration, but that's the word that people most understand. So I, I said that, yeah. Yeah, so. I'll have to expand my imagination, I guess. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you so much. And you. Um, yeah, wish you much luck with whatever you pursue in Taiwan and the UK. And hope to hear a lot more good news about your design in future mm-hmm. days. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie. Thank, Thank you. you.
From the London Underground to the Taipei Metro, the people of our world are going places. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.